Father, we are grateful to be here this morning and just pray continually that you can open the eyes of our hearts. Fathers, we, we, we want to see you high and lifted up. And we sing praises to you and we're grateful that you do break every chain through the name of Jesus. We're so grateful for Jesus, his heart, his life, his power. And Father, we do want to go deeper with you. We are grateful that you even want relationships with us. We're so fallen, so fickle. We fail so often, but you desire closeness with us, and we do want to be deeper with you. Uh, we want you to hear our prayers. Uh, we cry out to you in our weakness, uh, but we know when we are weak, it's really when we are strong, because that's when Christ's power can rest more powerfully in us. And, and Father, I pray this morning, I definitely pray for all the mothers that they can be encouraged and uh, that we can express to them how grateful we are for how they've just loved us and taken such great care of us. And we also hear the prayers of uh, those that want to be mothers but can't be physically. Uh, we pray for them, and we know that you will comfort them in your own way, Father. We know that this day is not always happy for everyone, but uh, prayerfully the, the body can come together and we can love up on everyone. And, uh, Father, I pray for this time this morning as we... We look in your word for a brief time, and uh, I just pray that we can be inspired by the scriptures to go deeper, to go into the world that we live in, and be like Jesus, and be devoted to doing good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let's open up our Bibles. Uh, I wanted to uh, go to the book of Titus. I've been studying Titus lately, and Felt like there were some great, great lessons to learn from Titus. But in the time that we have this morning, I really wanted to focus on one aspect uh, of this, uh, this letter that Paul wrote. And uh, this actually is going to serve as our communion uh, message as well. So at the conclusion of what I share, we'll pray and we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, but, you know, as reading Titus, uh, Paul was really trying to write to, to him to to really help the church there in Crete get started and uh, trying to establish an eldership there and, and really get the church going. But there's one thing here that I wanted to focus on, and it's a word that's mentioned and a concept that's mentioned throughout uh, the, three, the three chapters that we have uh, here in Titus. And it's this concept of what really it means to do good. And in chapter 1 and in verse 8, he talks about uh, elders, they need to be hospitable, and they, they need to love what is good. Uh, later on in, in chapter 2, he, he talks also about people that they need to teach people to uh, teach what is good. Uh, later on in the same chapter, uh, they want to set an example by doing what is good. And it's over and over in this entire letter, this concept of doing what is good. And the words that are used to describe this basically talk about being honorable, being virtuous, the things that are kind. But also one of the biggest issues when it comes to the word good, it actually means to care about the welfare of others. It's not just something that feels good, but it's that to you, it's doing something that in your mind you're doing it for the welfare of someone else. That's the concept that he's trying to get at of what doing good really means. And I wanted to focus on two portions of the letter. 
And the first portion I want to talk about is chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good. And you see, this, this part of the letter, and it talks about salvation, but it's really not just about your individual salvation. We have to recognize that this free gift of grace comes with a cost, and that cost is our obedience. And we got to remove ourselves from the craziness and ungodliness and worldly passions and desires that want to take over our lives. And we have to be zealous for doing good. And this word, to do good, it talks about zealots for doing good. Zealots for looking at the world around us and taking stock and going, what is beneficial for this world? How can I do something that benefits other people and not just look at myself. Because when we look at ourselves, if we're Christians, when we look at ourselves, we need to be great, grateful that God has saved us. We are no longer slaves to our passions. We, we can look to Jesus and be so grateful that he saved us, so now we're freed up. We should be freed up. The chains have been broken. The eyes of our heart have been opened. Now our heart, we should be zealous to go out every day and figure out what good can I do. How can I benefit other people with the life I've been given? And that needs to be like our, our heart. And this isn't just in one place in Titus. Turn over to chapter 3. We'll look in chapter, chapter 3 as well. Verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs to having the hope of eternal life. And this is a trust worthy saying. And Titus, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. You see, this isn't just a proof text. He also gives us the reason, once again, is we've got to remember who we were. 
we got to remember the lives that we've been saved from. And we got to remember that it wasn't, we didn't earn our salvation. And sometimes we can get tricked up on that. We can, we can take so much stock in our repentance that we actually think that we did something great to, de- to deserve our salvation. you got to remember there's nothing good in you. You didn't do anything that deserved what Jesus did for us on that cross. He saved us. It was because of his mercy that he saved us. Right in the middle of us living jacked up lives, we were given renewal and a washing through our baptism into a new life in Jesus. You know, we have to have that heart to be zealous to do good. And I was reminded, I went back when I, when I was reading this, it reminded me of, of uh, this, this uh, guy named Steve Shogren. He had a, a church out in Cincinnati. And he just got, he got inspired. He said, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this congregation on just doing, doing good. And uh, just for the benefit of others. And so I remember reading this book, and he would just talk about, you know what, I would just take, uh, we'd, we'd have teams of people. We would have cleaning products, and we would, go to, we would go to different businesses, and we would just say, hey, where are your toilets? We want to clean them. And, the, the, you know, he, and he'd say sometimes the, the business owner was like, what are you, who are you? What are you doing? You know, he said, we, we just want to clean your toilets. And so they would, you know, they would go in there and clean them up. And, uh, and if the person wanted to know, they said, well, why are you doing this? And he instructed all the people in the church, say, if they, if they ask, you just tell them, we want to show you the love of God in a practical way. Just want to show you the love of God in a practical way. And if they didn't ask, then that's okay. You just walk out. Because it's all about doing good for the benefit of others. It's not about fanfare. It's not about, who look at us. Look how awesome we are. We belong to this. No, just do good. Just because it's good. Because it benefits other people. Be zealous to go out and do good. I went to a uh, conference uh, last uh, month with a a brother that we, many of us know and love, John Sherwood. And uh, it was a conference that was uh, put on by uh, the Barna Group that does a lot of research in uh, Christianity, and it invited people from all realms, like government, uh, business. Uh, there were many different types of people there. Uh, Ernie Johnson from TNT spoke. Uh, the governor of Tennessee was there. The uh, CEO of Hobby Lobby. But, but also Christian authors, writers, musicians, lots of different people. And, uh, and they just talked about the, the main reason for the conference is how can we take our Christian faith and engage the world around us in a way that draws people in and helps them understand how incredible it is to be a person of faith in Christ. How can we practically do that, whether it's government, whether it's business? How do we take our faith and, 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 and impose it, so to speak, on the world around us in a way that's powerful? And one of the groups, one of the guys that spoke, he, he told a story that really moved me. And, uh, and, he, and he shared just about how when he was younger in college, uh, they were trying to figure out ways uh, to, with, with a Christian heart to really, really protest abortions, but not do it in a way where that was mean-spirited. Like a lot of times abortion clinics, people are yelling and screaming and picketing. They wanted to figure out a way, how can we as Christians, with this heart, how can we just do good in, in that situation? And so he, he found a group that, that created a, uh, like a little van that had free sonograms and, um, and ultrasounds. And he went along with this group, and they would just show up at the abortion clinic, and they were just offering another option. 
Because they figured if a woman could hear the beating heart, maybe they would change their mind. And so this guy is standing there. He doesn't kind of know what to do. And this woman approaches him thinking he's working at the abortion clinic. And she's asking these questions. He's like, oh, I'm, you know what? I don't, work, I don't really work here. Um, but you should just go over here to this van. Go, go, you know, <laughs> go over here. And so the girl goes into the van and she comes out, you know, later. And she's on the phone and about to call somebody. And he's like, well, who are you, who are you calling? And, and she said, I'm calling my mother to tell her she's going to be a grandmother. And that guy said, at that moment, I knew this is what I need to do with my life. And so he totally committed himself to creating another option for women in that situation based on his faith to do good. And so he pretty much started this group called Save the Storks. You know, the, image, the imagery of birthing and mothers and all that. And what they've done is they've, uh, they've put together a, an organization that puts together really nice, I mean, like Mercedes-Benz type vans with all the great equipment. And they put them up. They, they partner with pregnancy centers because they found out that 64% of women post-abortive felt like they didn't have another choice, another option. And so they're not picketing. They're not screaming. They're doing good. And they're giving people an option. And, they, and he said four out of five women that go into the van keep their babies. I just go, that's doing good. And it's not fanfare. It's not, hey, look at me, look how awesome I am. It's just, are you zealous just to go out into this world and do things that benefit other people? Even if it inconveniences you, even if it costs you something, and even if it takes away from your wonderful life, are you zealous to do good? I want to be that type of person. And I want to look at uh, Jesus. You ever heard of him? And John. I want to look in John. Because Jesus, Jesus did some good in his life. And I'm, I'm, I wanted to look at this one aspect of Jesus' ministry, which um, actually it's funny because a lot of scholars don't know what to do with this passage. It's really funny when you study it out, all the different interpretations. and Some people, you almost feel like they want to rip it out of the Bible. But I'm always drawn to this, how cool this, this, to me, this is in John chapter 2. Because here's a situation where Jesus is interacting with his mommy. But I think he does some good. In chapter 2, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. You see, we see that and we go, that's kind of rude, Jesus. But actually, the dear woman thing wasn't so rude. It was more like a ma'am type of thing, or madam. You know, it wasn't rude. It sounds a little weird in English. But basically, he's saying, what is that to us, is the literal translation. What is it to you and to me? 
What does that have to do with us? They ran out of wine. Hey, what are you going to do? Right? Typical guy, right? No offense. Hey, that's how we are, right? You know, the women oftentimes can be a little more sensitive to what's happening all around them and people's feelings and emotions. Guys, hey, man, that's, hey, that's a rough gig. Sorry about that. Maybe I need to go make a run and get a bottle for us, but uh, no. But Jesus' mom just, you know, wanted to let him know. But then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So what did she know that we don't know? You know, some, one of the guys I read, he said it was interesting because he feels like maybe that she said that to Jesus, you know, thinking because, you know, I'm your mom. And surely if your mom tells you, you're just going to do it kind of vibe. Like, Jesus, the, the, the wine's run out. As if, do something about it. But it's almost like, she, so she went to him as, as kind of like a mother one, wanting to influence him because of the motherhood thing. Uh, but it's interesting, it, she gets kind of rebuffed right there. Like, this answer, dear woman, why are you, it's not my time. That doesn't really, it didn't really help her, right? The mother card didn't work. <laughs> but, but, she left and she went to the servants, what'd she say? Do whatever he tells you to do. So it's almost like she, the, the mother thing wasn't going to work, so she just had to go on faith as just a, a faithful person to just believe that Jesus can do something about the situation. And it's almost like Jesus isn't going to be swayed. You know, you got you to gotta follow him as Lord no matter who you are. He's there to do the Father's will on the Father's timing, not going to be pressed by anybody else, right? But we can have faith. And oftentimes that moves Jesus, doesn't it? Do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they fill them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests had too much to drink. But you say the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. And the reason why I, wonder, I, re, I read this is because uh, one, one aspect is in this culture, this was a very shameful situation. And so this was a deeply embarrassing, potentially embarrassing moment for this family. Uh, untold social stigma to run out of the wine at, at the wedding. And, and so Jesus seemingly does something to benefit others. It doesn't necessarily benefit himself because notice, who knows what happened? Who really knows what happened? I mean, the, the servants know because they pour the water in. And then they, take the, they draw it out and they pour it in the cup when, and they don't even know what's going to happen. And they give it to the, 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 the guy, right? And he drinks it. 
And he doesn't, he goes to a side to the bridegroom. The groom, he doesn't know what's going on. Bridegroom has no idea. What are you talking about? I brought out the good wine later. I don't know what you're talking about. We just only had one type of wine the whole time. What do you mean? I mean, the only people that, there was such a small number of people that really knew. Jesus wasn't there to lift up his name. Look at me. I'm awesome. Look at all the great things I do. But I feel like in that scenario, he saw what was happening. He saw the shame that people could have felt. And he decided, I'm going to do good. I'm going to benefit other people with what I do. I'm not going to look to myself and I'm not going to bring attention to myself. I'm just going to do good. And I want to encourage us all. It's not just about studying the Bible with people and helping them become Christians. We need to do that. We need to do more of it. We need to never stop doing that. But you know what? You can also just go out and help somebody. Go mow a lawn. Go clean somebody's toilets, right? Whatever it takes. And when they ask you, why are you doing this kind of stuff? If you have to answer, I just want to show you the love of God in a practical way. Let's be zealous to do good because of what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, grateful to pray to you and to see your example. Father, we look at Jesus and we know that he did so much good. He was devoted to doing good. And Father, we know that when we walk in the light and we live as Jesus did, that people will praise you in heaven because of the good deeds that we do. And Father, we don't deserve your salvation. There's nothing in us that just merits the righteousness that you bestow upon us. So we just want to say thank you, not just in words, not just with attendance at church, but the 90% of our lives that we live outside of this building, we pray that we can be zealous to do good and always point towards you, Father. And we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his body, and we're about to take the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the blood that he shed. We celebrate his life. We celebrate the death that was needed for us to make it to you, Father. And we celebrate his resurrection. And we do this together because we are grateful people, and we want to be known as those who do good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.